Welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, designed to bring out the best in you and your organization. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach on a mission to create a culture where business is the true balance of head and heart. I work with leaders and companies on how to leverage my brand of kindness to gain powerful results. And I'm Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you shift conversations to identify what works and find ways to build on that success with people, planet, and profit in mind. The Doing Good Business Podcast is the place to learn about transformational leadership qualities and purpose-driven business practices that are essential to success in today's modern market. You can make the world a better place through business, and the business case for that starts now. Hey, everybody. Happy 2021. Hooray! We all... (laughs) collectively can celebrate making it through 2020, um, feeling a little bit hopeful, feeling like we are about to be able to leave the house in some real capacity, feeling like I'll be able to hug Kelly Stewart at some point this year, but we're so happy to be back. Um, We're so happy to have you here for another year of doing good business. And we're really, really thrilled to kick off the year um, with somebody who is doing good business. And her name is Dana Riser. Dana is with us today, and she's the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Feast. And Dana, we're so happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. Tell our folks a little bit about you and and Feast and, and the work you do in the world. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. It's really nice to get to to connect and especially in a a year where there hasn't been a lot of traveling outside of my little home office here in in Los Angeles. It's um, really nice to get to connect to people in different time zones, no less. Um, So yeah, the work that we do at FEAST, um, FEAST stands for Food Education Access and Support Together. Um, And it's a really holistic, really innovative approach to helping predominantly families that are living in food deserts or in high poverty food communities um, be able to gain access to the ingredients they need to live a healthier and more nourishing life. Um, so I came to this work, my, my background, I, I call myself a, a food enthusiast from birth. <laughs> um, so I bring a lot of passion for um, both being in the kitchen, uh, but also an understanding of food systems and the way that food sort of intersects all of the different factors of our lives from our society to our environment to our cultural practices. Um, I'm just a a huge believer that food is, you know, an integral part of what it means to be a human being and part of our human experience. So I bring a lot of love to the work that we do um, with Feast. And in addition to that, I'm also a a wellness educator, a a yoga teacher. Um, So bringing a lot of different kind of mindfulness-based practices also into the work that we do. Mm, Amazing. So food is definitely, you know, it's one of the things that Kelly and I bonded over. Um, We, we joke, Kelly refers to our, uh, our friendship story as a fierce love. Is that right, Kelly? That is absolutely correct. (laughs) We met and very quickly, you know, we're going steady and are now in a long-term committed relationship, but we bonded over food. and, And one of the ways we bonded is that Kelly and I are both pescatarians. So it was so easy to always find lunch places to go and dinner places to go. And whenever we get together, we always start our doing good business work um, with a meal and typically whoever's hosting um, or the the visitor provides the snacks. So you are in good company with several food lovers. (laughs) I love it. It's really the starting point for, I think, most meaningful relationships. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think, Dana, that food connects people 
in a way that language can't, you know, you can share a meal, even if you can't share language with someone, whether that's because you're visiting their country or, you know, they just don't speak the same language that you do. But I'd love if you could start it off by sharing a story, you know, can you share a story of a way that you have seen food bring disparate communities or groups together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Through the work that we do with Feast, I mean, we have a a very uh, sort of concrete example of that, which is that, you know, we got started in South Los Angeles, which is a a pretty diverse community. It's uh, also about 40 square miles of neighborhoods throughout uh, Los Angeles County. So it's a really big swath of, um, you know, our city. And it is comprised of really, really diverse groups of people, um, you know, people that have immigrated from Central and South America and Mexico, um, and also a longstanding uh, community of folks that were predominantly African American. And so you have this really interesting cross section of people speaking different languages, um, even if they're speaking the same languages, speaking different dialects of that language, depending on what country they've come from. And definitely people sharing very different food ways, um, you know, the different kinds of practices that they are used to in terms of feeding their families and themselves. Um, and what's been so interesting is that, you know, we we do have groups. Um, we run a 16-week wellness program uh, for adults primarily, and it happens in all sorts of different community spaces, whether it's, um, you know, it might be in a church or in a hospital or community clinic. We've run them on school campuses and the parent centers and in um, community centers where you know people are serving kids. And so we we address the parents in those those spaces. And when we do that, you know, it's really working with folks. Um, typically it was working with them in their language of choice, because a lot of our program is is not just about education and helping people to learn about how to eat healthier with really limited resources. But it's a lot about sharing. Um, You could kind of imagine a feast group is like coming around a shared table and getting a space to talk about what we call your food story. So exploring what food means in your own life and what the roots of your eating habits, where they come from. Um, So we'll have topics week to week on things like, you know, your family dinner table growing up. What was it like, you know, where, where you were? What lessons did you learn? What conversations were had? Was there enough food? Were you ever hungry? And those conversations sort of become the starting point for people to not just learn skills and and to learn healthy recipes, but to really get to know their own relationship with food, um, you know, in their in their their personal life. Um, So it's a really holistic way of, of kind of guiding people to make different changes when it comes to how we're feeding ourselves. And so we would do these in, you know, it was either in English or Spanish, depending on the location. And um, then we had some partner sites where we actually had a bilingual population. You know, there were enough folks that we could invite in English and Spanish speakers into a shared space. And, you know, we still needed to do the sharing, obviously, in, you know, their unique languages. But when it came time to gather everyone in the kitchen and to learn a recipe together, we were able to actually have people, you know, we could have the recipes kind of in both languages and and get everyone around kind of the kitchen space. And we started to see food really bridging gaps in communities where, you know, the same parents at a school would have seen each other in the hallways for, you know, years potentially, but never had a method to communicate with each other. And all of a sudden, 
by coming into the kitchen together and, you know, being able to just have your hands dirty and, you know, be mixing and chopping and, and being a little team creating this dish together. Um, it really started to dissolve some of those feelings of, you know, separateness and, and feelings that, you know, we didn't have a common language. So it's really powerful on that, like, on that level. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think even, you know, food is a language unto itself. Um, I grew up in a very food focused household. My grandparents were from different parts of Italy, but, um, you know, first generation. And so food was certainly a way that they expressed their feelings for people. And I think about my grandmother who, you know, emotionally was one of the sort of saltiest and rough and toughest ladies you would probably encounter. I mean, she was just kind of had a bitter sense of humor. And I mean, she was just so funny, but but not someone you would think of as like openly loving in in the conventional sense, like not a snuggly grandma. But when she fed you, there was no doubt that the amount of care and attention and, um, you know, really like she would pay attention to what you liked and what you didn't like and make sure that was there the next time you came over. I mean, it was just food was the language she was using to express herself and to express you know, real emotion for people. So, you know, both in the work that we do with Feast and personally, I've really seen food be a bridge to um, super, super deep human connection, um, as well as it being just very delicious and satisfying on other levels as well. That's amazing. It's amazing what you're doing, like the full scope of, of the programs and the very thoughtful way which you're bringing people together. Um, I, I could, I was there with you as you were describing all of that. Uh, this is Kelly, by the way. And yeah. so I was wondering if, if maybe you could help us understand what's the long, like kind of longer term impact to society and by extension to businesses, because that's kind of my focus here in this conversation. If, if those needs aren't being met, if those communities aren't being drawn together, what, what is kind of the impact um, or the loss to to communities and to businesses if that if those needs aren't being met through the work that you do. Yeah, so I'll I'll start by contextualizing, you know, really why we started Feast in the first place, um, which is that, you know, if you look at kind of public health trends across the country, you will see over and over again that there are health disparities that arise really consistently in high poverty communities um, where rates of obesity and diabetes um, and other diet-related diseases are, are you know, often about 10 percentage points higher than in more affluent neighborhoods just a few miles away. And so recognizing that, um, you know, Feast was really created to help families living in those areas move the needle on these public health trends. And as we started to get into that work, what we recognized was that, you know, again, food is not just one thing. Food really intersects with so many portions of our life and our society. And so we needed to create a program that really addressed all of that. Um, some part of our, you know, our food decisions are really based economically. And there are kind of two ways that that's shaped. I mean, one, you know, people really don't often have the ability to afford or to find healthy food in the neighborhoods that they're living in. So affordability, you know, being a, a key issue into what's driving people's food choices, 
Um, accessibility being another factor. Is there even a grocery store that people can go to? Um, but again, you know, it extends beyond just the the economics of food. Um, it's also certainly about you know the, the personal histories and the way that we all use food in our own lives. You know, for better or worse, as you know, sometimes food is a is a connection mechanism, helping us to feel connected to other people. Sometimes it's a coping mechanism, you know, that we use to be able to handle stress. Um, I think you know, throughout the pandemic, we certainly can all attest, I think, to, you know, eating habits changing when, um, you know, you're kind of stressed and, and going through, uh, you know, different challenges and also being confined to your homes. Um, we don't pandemic, understand that at all. <laughs> right, right. Like pandemic snacking is actually now, uh, you know, a term that is being thrown out there. It's it's really prevalent. Um, so, you know, there's a human element to food as well that really needs to be addressed. And, um, you know, there are a lot of programs that will focus on food from one angle or the other. You know, they look at it from, um, you know, it, it being about personal choices. Like you just have to make better choices and you'll, uh, you know, that's all it takes. Or or they look at it from like the access side and, you know, they're working to alleviate hunger or to, um, you know, to bring in farmers markets into the neighborhood. But, but we really felt like we needed to address all of it because it is it is complex um, and it's not enough to just do one piece or the other. So a lot of the program, you know, it goes beyond really just focusing on food. What happens is that people in the space that we create where we're having these personal conversations grounded in in sort of a, a practical skill building space is that people realize that their voices matter, that their stories matter, that their personal experience matters, um, that you know they actually have personal agency in their lives to create change. Um, and that effect, that sort of awakening of like, oh, you know, I can share my food story in this space of 10 people and people care about it. You know, they're listening to me. That ingredient of our programs, which was not something we consciously set out to create and, you know, the effect of that, um, it was sort of a byproduct of, of the kind of learning environment we were generating. That, I think, has the potential to really um, dramatically change the environments that our feast families live in because women get done with the program and they recognize, you know, they can be advocates for better food in their communities, their voice can have a role in businesses coming in and providing better food. You know, they go to their grocery store and say, you know, I want whole grains instead of just processed food or we need better produce. Like this is unacceptable that we're just getting second rate, you know, fresh uh, lettuces and things. Right. Um, So that that piece of the program, I think, is um, the biggest driver towards, you know, real meaningful change in the kinds of communities we're seeing where where people feel empowered, where they feel seen and heard. And the potential of that extends far beyond, you know, their personal eating habits, but but really can do a lot to change the world they live in and that we all Absolutely. share. That's a really amazing, Dana. It's a wonderful perspective and one that might not be readily apparent, especially when businesses are considering you know, how to um, express their compassion, their concern, right? And to support organizations. Um, So I thank you for that because it's just a 
lovely, poignant perspective that um, I hope our audience can appreciate the real long-term impacts of when these good things happen and how they might be able to support organizations like yours in helping people just come together and raise their voices and be heard. I just, there was so much in there. I wish I had taken some notes on that, but there was so much that you had said that was just absolutely wonderful. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Like what you're hearing on the Doing Good Business podcast? Then you'll love working with Laura or Kelly. Visit doinggoodbusiness.com forward slash the host to learn about them and how their services can help you do good business. So what I thought of, Dana, when you were sharing, you know, Kelly and I often talk about, um, you know, the concept of bringing your whole self to work. And, and we talked in late December to an amazing guest named Robin Geigel, and, and she's a trans woman and a lawyer. And we talked to her about her journey and, you know, what it is like when you have um, an identity that is marginalized and bringing your whole self to work. And I think, you know, part of your whole self is nutrition and nutrition largely comes from food and nutrition and food impact cognitive ability and performance in, in every area of someone's life. And I'm just wondering, have you seen, you know, even cognitive or performance or professional outcomes shift as a result of people having this increased access to um, nutrition education and healthier, you know, air quotes, healthier foods? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the first uh, really impactful experiences um, I had the privilege to witness was uh, one of our first groups, actually, it was our, our second ever cohort of um, 10 moms that we were serving at the time. Uh, we had a, a woman who uh, came into the program really focused. She was a mom of five. Um, she was really focused on the personal health of, of her children in particular. And she had just had a daughter who was entering into remission after a very scary battle with ovarian cancer at the age of 12. Mm -hmm. um, so her name was Anna. And when she came into Feast, she was like, you know, this is all about my kids. I need to, you know, make sure that I'm feeding them the best food because I want to make sure that my daughter, you know, stays cancer free. And she also had a son who was um, autistic and wanted to make sure that she was able to, you know, support him nutritionally. Um, there's often a lot of food um, aversions when um, people are autistic. They have, you know, a real kind of either a preference away from or towards certain foods, but it's really challenging sometimes to get them to have like a, a very balanced diet because of those, those preferences. So it was all very much about, you know, the kids. Um, and as she started to go through the program, I mean, she was really dedicated to bringing in the healthier recipes for her family. Um, you know, she really started to build some confidence that what she was providing them nutritionally was going to be, you know, setting them forward on a very different path for their future. But again, what we saw with her was that as she made those changes in her own life, I mean, she lost 35 pounds just by default of going through the process of, you know, eliminating a lot of the processed foods that they had come to learn and rely on living in this country. Um, but she also started to open up each week um, when she first was in the sharing circles, you know, she would say just a little bit about what was going on. And over the weeks, she started to really share the, you know, different struggles and challenges that she was facing with her children and the fears that she had and, you know, the pushback that her husband was, you know, sort of giving her when she would try to bring healthier recipes at home. And 
it was really fascinating to watch. There was like a turning point where she just one day just fully opened and shared kind of this burden of all of this part of her life that she had been carrying and she cried and everyone in the group cried. And from that point forward, the entire group sort of shifted. Everyone became more open and vulnerable. Everyone became more, um, you know, sort of willing to just be real with each other. And Anna went from being a mom of five who had never worked outside of her home to being the first person to come to us and say, I want to be a leader for these programs. I want to bring it into all of my kids' different schools. Um, you know, give me some applications. I will recruit other moms to join and I want to co-teach them. And so we started kind of from that group forward, creating opportunities for training people that would come through the program. And then upon graduation, could do some additional training with us and become co-teachers for future cohorts. Um, and now we see that again and again, you know, it's usually one or two women out of 10 in every group that want to do something similar. So, you know, whether it's the the benefit of the good nutrition that they're receiving or, you know, mixed with the sort of confidence that they're gaining that again, you know, their, their voice can make a difference. Um, those two things combined together have really created this recipe that, um, you know, it's, it's deeply transformational. It's not only physically altering their bodies and, you know, helping them to have different, you know, whether it's their A1C, their blood sugar levels stabilizing or, you know, stabilizing cholesterol after being on medication. These things are things we see and can measure all the time through our data collection. Um, but the personal transformations as well, the, the confidence, the, feelings of self-efficacy, um, the energy that you get when you're eating better, you know, all of that makes such a huge difference. And it's, again, it's just a really unique thing that I think our, our program is able to draw out because of the different components about food that, that get brought in. So it's pretty amazing. It's wonderful. It really is. This is Kelly. And I, I think we're coming close to our time, but I was hoping we might have a minute to talk about what's on the horizon. Um, I'm thinking about people who are listening to this and being inspired by your work and, and thinking what's, what, what's happening out there, you know, are there new strategic alliances or services or technologies that will help organizations like yours make an even greater positive impact in people's lives? You know, is this something that could help you scale or are there other organizations that are kind of coming together in the for-profit, not-for-profit areas that are doing things? What's happening there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that we've started to do about two years ago, we started to, because of the number of inquiries we were getting from other communities outside of LA, um, you know, places like Lincoln, Nebraska, and, um, you know, New York City, and, and other um, very far flung uh, spots along the map, we started to recognize, you know, we had a we had a model that we could replicate that, um, that there was interest in, and that a lot of it, again, was just about leadership development, it was just about, you know, training people that were passionate, that were caring, um, to be able to bring this program into the communities wherever they were. And one of our biggest alliances has actually been in the healthcare space. Um, you know, I'm really thankful to say that Western medicine is finally catching up with, you know, the idea that 
health is not just a physical, you know, set of the lack of symptoms of something, um, that there's, you know, all of these different layers that go into what really creates ultimate, both physical and other health outcomes. Um, And so a lot of our first partners in scaling have been, you know, we have Providence Healthcare and Kaiser Permanente and others that we now train their staff and bring our programs um, into their locations and, and similarly community organizations on a smaller scale that are doing the same thing. So that's still sort of in the you know, private space. But mm-hmm. um, in terms of the business side, you know, what the other part of our program that really um, I think is effective and unique is that we provide what we call a food scholarship to every participant that is coming into the program every week. And those food scholarships are, um, you know, a $10 typically denomination to be able to go to a local store or a local farmer's market and be able to purchase the ingredients that they've, uh, you know, seen to create the recipe in class that week. And by doing that, you know, we're not only helping families, you know, alleviate some budgetary pressure, try out a new recipe at home without, you know, risking that their kid isn't going to like it. And they've just, you know, blown $10. Right. Uh, But we're really supporting a food ecosystem. You know, there are so many amazing um, small scale and medium scale and also, you know, key retailers that we've partnered with in L.A. and New York. Um that are working to bring better food into these areas, whether it's a, you know, a corner store that is being turned into a healthy corner store. So not selling chips, but selling fresh produce, right. Um, you know, being able to provide these food scholarship dollars, investing in their business, bringing our participants to them, getting them shopping there every week. Um, same thing with the farmer's market networks, you know, really forming these alliances with the for-profit sector and, and investing in businesses that are trying to do good. And then vice versa, you know, those companies are doing the same thing. You know, the big scale companies like Kroger and others we work with, they give us grant dollars to be able to run more free programs. And the smaller scale businesses that can't do that, maybe we're getting a discount on the food scholarship. So, you know, it's a little less expensive for us to provide that. Um, and it's a real win-win. So I think for businesses being able to find those ways where, you know, they can keep doing what they do and, and also, um, you know, bringing in some focus on, on mission and some focus on impact and then partnering with organizations, uh, you know, like ours that by working together, we can both really fulfill the kind of unique niches we're trying to, to fill um, and just magnify each other's impact. I think that's, there's so much opportunity for that, um, certainly these days. Yeah, there's, I imagine that, you know, 2020, 2021, the ability to make an impact for organizations like yours has just been absolutely magnified, unfortunately, due to need. But we are so grateful that that Feast exists and, and that you spent some time with us today, Dana. And, you know, if there's anything, what are you, you know, as a leader, um, as human, as um you know, representing Feast organization. What are you excited about for this new year? Um, what are you looking forward to? Any Anything you want to kind of leave our audience with today? Yeah, I think the thing that I am leaving 2020 with is just such a deep appreciation for the incredible resilience and um, the incredible capacity for humans to, you know, grow and evolve. Um, I think 
there is not a single human in you know our country and around the world this last year who has not been tested to the you know very edges of what we maybe thought we were capable of holding and we've made it through a huge milestone i think getting through you know the the kind of toughest parts of this process i think on the other side you know there is despite the challenges despite everything that you know we will still have to be navigating over the next 6 to 12 months um, I think there really is a feeling that, A, like we can do this together. Um, we need to work together. We have um, the capacity to, you know, keep moving forward. And that, you know, a lot of the obstacles and challenges that arose have been major sources of learning and um, and opportunities for evolution and creativity. And I'm, I'm really feeling optimistic that, um, you know, Although I hope we don't have to continue to be in the the hardest parts of what this year has been, um, that we really are going to come out of this as a, a culture, as a city, as a society, um, you know, so much stronger than where we were a, a year ago. Um, so I'm really, I am really feeling optimistic that, um, you know, whatever sector you're in, you've learned something about, you know, how you can improve and how you can move forward and. And that we're all going to be able to apply that, you know, beyond the the limits of this pandemic and and beyond. So well said. Excellent, yeah. excellent parting words. Um, you know, some hope for a new year. Um, Dana, thank you again so much. Uh, you are at feastforall.org, which we will link to in the show notes. And just thank you for the good business that you are doing in the world. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me and, and to allow us to share a bit about our work in the world. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business. We hope you'll tune in regularly, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and most importantly, tell a friend or a few. It's how we can build the critical mass to make the world a better place through business. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business. Learn how you can work with us at doinggoodbusiness.com slash the hosts. Let us know what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear about through our online form on the contact page of doinggoodbusiness.com. We'll see you next time.